Just a real quick question. I've had some people asking me, or a real quick announcement. I've had some people asking me about the, uh, the Gypsy Christmas offering. We've done that now for quite a few years. And uh, Dan and Marta have asked that uh, if you have done that in the past and you want to continue to do that, that we're actually going to be refocusing that money. <clears throat> It'll still be feeding uh, folks in Sikahid, but what we're do- what they're doing now is with the school, they're doing a meal every day for the kids. They're feeding 40 kids every day and uh, making sure that they have at least one good hot meal and uh, some variety. And so they're doing that uh, Monday through Friday uh, from August all the way to May. So it's actually a lot more. They're doing a lot more. They're just refocusing how they're doing it. And um, with more of a purpose, with a more, you know, I mean, yes, they were feeding people and keeping them, you know, helping them through. But this is specifically feeding uh, children and uh, widows. So there's 40 Uh, 40 plus children that are being fed each day as well as the five uh, elderly widows in the church that have no family Um, and so they're making sure that they get a meal every day also and uh, the cost of that just to give you a reference point of how much that costs uh, to do that is two thousand dollars a month and so to, to make sure they have a meal, it's, it's, so it's actually an extension or a, a broadening of that uh, desire to, to help these folks out. Um, but what they were finding out is as they, <clears throat> excuse me, as they were going into school and doing the, doing the, the classwork, the kids are hungry. And we know if they're hungry, they don't listen. They don't listen anyway. But if, they, if they're hungry, they usually don't. It's even, it's even harder. So uh, as, uh, as we give uh, this year, this Christmas, that's where they would like that money to be directed towards. And so we're going to be doing that. But they, so they, you, know, you can continue to do that. Just if you want to market towards Gypsy Christmas or Gypsy uh, School food, then that is how that's going to be taken care of. Amen? Amen. Also, thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you. This, the, this body has risen up once again and just was above and beyond and, and uh, a blessing in so many ways. And I just want to thank you publicly and, and, and from my heart that, that it's, it is an honor, absolute honor, uh, to be a part of this. And uh, um, it's just, it's just that's the, this is the way the body is supposed to operate. This is how we're supposed to live. And when we do that, when we, when we uh, give of ourselves, when we, when we serve, when we help, when, when, there's, when one hurts, you know, that's, if you looked ahead in your notes, in the, the doctrine notes, when one hurts, we all hurt. But when we all pull together, it makes that a little bit better. It doesn't take it away, but it makes it better. But thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are amazing, above, above and beyond. Now get back to work. All right. Like to have Brian come up and receive the offering, please. Good morning. Okay, last time we talked about being blessed to be a blessing, and these things always seem to come in two parts. 
So this is part two. Um, God has been showing me that we need to we need to live and operate in the blessing. Abraham operated in the blessing. Isaac and Jacob operated in the blessing. Joseph lived and operated in the blessing. David lived and operated in the blessing. Jesus. Jesus lived and operated in the blessing. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean for you? What does that mean for me today? How does it look to live and operate in the blessing? Because if we're going to believe for it, we need to, if we're going to expect it, we need to be able to visualize it and see what it looks like. Let me just pull my place. So what I've... I'm going to read an excerpt from a book, The, the Blessing of the Lord by Kenneth Copeland. Um, it's a book that, well, it's been a blessing to me. Um, I've had it for uh, a couple years now, and... Of course, I read my Bible. I don't use this for my devotions. It's just my other recreational reading that I use. Um, and I've tried to read other books since I've gotten it, and I just can't. I'm going through, through it my fifth time now. And I think w- what God's trying to do with this book for me is to help me see what the blessing is. Help me get a sense of what does it look like? How do we operate in it? In it? What does it do? So let me read a little bit here. So he's talking about Joseph and says the, the blessing was his profession. He worked at it all the time and expected it to do the same thing in prison that it did anywhere else. He expected it to remove the curse and begin creating the conditions of the Garden of Eden wherever he went. And that's exactly what happened, even when he was locked up in an Egyptian prison. Now from Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor inside of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph had never been a prison warden. He'd never been in the charge of criminals, but just as it had Just as it had in Potiphar's house, the blessing gave him the wisdom he needed. It taught him to make even a prison prosper. The blessing is doing the same thing today. I've seen it. I preached in a prison in Louisiana that at one time was the meanest penitentiary in the nation. People called it America's Devil Island. The only warden who has lasted more than five years in the prison's 100-year history is a born-again Christian. At this writing, he's been the warden there for 15 years. The reason for his longevity is he pastors the prison instead of just being warden over it. The last I heard, 2,500 of the 5,200 inmates are born again. The 1,800 acres of prison grounds produce the finest crops and livestock around. The cows are prospering. The fields are prospering. The inmates produce all their own food and build all their own buildings. They don't need outside assistance. They don't even have to call in contractors or electricians. They have their own. While I was ministering there, they were having a craft show and a rodeo. 
the minister told, or the warden told me they made 250000 from the craft show. In the past few years, the prison has built new buildings with their own money. They even have four churches there. From any cell window in any cell block in the prison, you can see a church steeple. They have a closed-circuit radio station throughout the prison that makes gospel preaching and gospel music available all the time. They even have a Bible seminary there. When the first group of 82 students graduated, the warden thought, what am I going to do with 82 preachers in this prison? Then the Lord showed him. He said, send those preachers out two by two as missionaries in the other units. Today, those prison preachers are out evangelizing the penitentiaries of Louisiana. While preparing to minister at the prison, I was marveling at what God had done there. And the Lord spoke to me about it. He said, if everyone in this penitentiary realized that by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, they could have the blessing of Abraham. It, it could turn that prison into a Garden of Eden because that's what the blessing does. It will turn hell on earth into heaven on earth. It will do it in any household, in a business, a university, or a church. If everyone in this prison would live by faith in the blessing, there would be people trying to get in instead of trying to get out. (laughs) After walking around the place, I found it easy to believe. Already, with just half the inmates born again, the peace of God is on that prison. Everywhere I went, people were getting along. Even on death row, or life row, as some of the inmates call it, I heard, hey, Brother Copeland, how are you doing? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. That's the kind of thing that was going on in the prison where Joseph was a warden. The anointing on him just kept working, making things better. That's a that's a pretty amazing story, and that's that just gives you a sense. Like what what I want to do is give you, give us a sense of what what the anointing does and what it's like to live in it. Because again, if we're going to if we're going to live in it, if we're going to be able to, if we're going to live in it, we need to believe it and expect it, right? And we need to see what it looks like. The, the, the blessing prospers us and causes everything we put our hand to to prosper. And the blessing causes us to have a positive in, impact on the world around us. We become a blessing to those around us. So I've, as, as I've talked about in the past, giving our tithes and offerings provides a covenant connection with God, right? And that's what brings, if we give an honor to God, if we give our tithes and offerings by faith in His goodness, the blessing will come into our lives. So, I don't know about you, but I, I want to live there. I want to live in the blessing. How about you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for for your word, which is a, a textbook of your blessing, a textbook of your goodness, a textbook of what of how you want us to live our lives. So, Father God, we come to you today. We honor you with our tithes and offerings. We thank you for providing for us, and we expect the blessing. Father God, we want the blessing in our lives so we can be a conduit 
of the blessing to touch the lives of others. We are supposed to have a positive impact, and you want us to have a positive impact on the world around us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I know uh, intention is to do doctrine. Intention, my desire, my hope, my what I... Because it's coming to the end of the year. And we're not close. There's a lot to do. But it sort of feels, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, where you have a dream within a dream, and then you go to the third level of a dream. Uh, we have a sermon that, <clears throat> that I left off with about two weeks ago, and then last week I took off a little bit of a rabbit trail, and now we're going to take off another one. But we'll come back, I promise. I know right where we were. And uh, even if you don't, so even if I, no matter where I come back to, you're going to think, oh yeah, we got back to where we started. You can always listen to the tape. But this morning, I just, I, I had it on my heart to talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that thing that's very evident. It's right there. It's the, it's the thing that everybody's thinking about, everybody's nose is there, but... Uh, Nobody really wants to talk about it. Well, that's where I, uh, I get to be one of those people. I just dive in head first and we'll see what turns out, you know. But that's also healthy. It's healthy. It's healthy to talk. It's healthy to, to work it through. This uh, last couple of weeks has been rough. It's been a rough couple of weeks. And everybody has felt it in one way, shape, or another and... There's been great loss, great pain. Yes, beautiful examples of the grace of God. And all of that is important. But when you start going through stuff like this, the hardest part is the questions. And everybody has questions. Every one of us has questions. Every, and, and some of those questions are... are maybe common to all some are more surface but some of them are they go right to the depth of everything and if we don't <clears throat> deal with the questions then they sit there and they fester and if you let things fester you know what happens you know it rots so we can't do that we we need to we need to deal with this and this this actually comes absolute full circle back to doctrine it comes back to what we believe and having a firm foundation to stand on in in times like this we can't help but feel that the ground underneath us is shifting but is it really shifting or is it just shaking a lot and it's hard to stand. That's why we need the rock to stand on. If you don't have the rock, if you don't have firm foundation, if you don't have a solid foundation, when it starts shaking, and it will shake, that's the deal, it will shake. If that starts shaking and you're on shifting sand, on, on non-firm foundation, you're going to sink. You're going to fall. And people do all the time. 
People do outside of the church, but people still do, even within the church, because they don't have that firm foundation that, that is, is firmly established. I, one of the thoughts I had over this last couple of weeks was, praise God we've been dealing with doctrine. Because we've dealt with some questions ahead of time that we're really nice to have dealt with because we don't have to go, gee, I wonder if. We know some of those answers. Specifically, first and first and foremost is, God is good. We know that. And as hard as any of this stuff that we go through is, we can at least hold on to that and believe and, and, and take a step forward in the rest of our lives. But what do you do with this? What do you do with the hurts? What do you do when things don't go the way we planned for them to go? The way we had hoped for them to go? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. This is a perfect story, a perfect example in the Word of God where somebody who was actually pretty solid had opportunity to be shaken. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, says, When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So John hears about what Jesus is doing and all of a sudden he sends word to him and says are you the Christ? Are you the one we're supposed to be looking for? Are you the one that the Bible talks about or are we supposed to be looking for somebody else? What happened to John's confidence? Do you know what I mean by that? Just a few weeks earlier John is making some pretty bold statements. And as he makes those bold statements, there doesn't seem to be any wavering whatsoever in his faith. We're going to look at those. Hold your finger there because we're coming back. Turn over to John chapter 1. This is the story of John's purpose on earth. These, these few ver verses right here is a culmination of the very reason John existed. For this very reason, he was born. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Well, just as, as context, putting it into a bigger picture. Remember that John had been preaching along the Jordan River and he'd been baptizing and he'd been, he'd been preaching with power. You know, John wasn't wimpy. John wasn't a fly-by-night kind of guy. He was a man's man. I mean, he was, he was tough. I mean, anybody who could look the religious leaders in the face and call them a bunch of, bunch of vipers and whitewashed sepulchers, which means whitewashed tombs, I mean, man, I don't do that. I wouldn't do that. Not yet. But I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's, 
He's not afraid of anything. He's, he knows who he is. And he knows why he's there. Because they keep asking him, are you the Christ? And he goes, no, I'm not the Christ. He says, are you Elisha? And he goes, no, I'm not. Or Elijah. He goes, no, I'm not Elijah. He says, are, are you the prophet? Nope, not him either. Who are you? He says, I'm, a one, I'm the voice calling in the wilderness. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. He was, it was not a question to him what he was born for. And he went for it. I mean, he was all out. And he's preaching hard, and he's baptizing people, bringing people uh, into a, a readiness for the one who's to come after him. So he knows when he sees Jesus, what's about to happen. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Who was born first? John. John's older. What in the world is he talking about here? He's talking by the Spirit, and he knows who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just his cousin. Jesus is God. He understands. I mean, he has a revelation from the Spirit that this is truth. He's God. He's, you are God. You're the one who takes the sins from the world. I'm convinced of it. I'm so convinced of it, I'm going to stand out in the wilderness, surrounded by a bunch of people, and yell it, wearing camel hair and eating locusts. You've got to be pretty sure to make that kind of a... That's crazy, man. But he knew. He knew what he believed. He was solid. He had no question. And he wasn't afraid to shout it in front of everybody. There's the Son of God. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy I've been talking about. He's the one. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. I mean, he is everything in there is no question he has made the statement this is what i believe verse 31 i myself did not know him but for this purpose i came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to israel and John bore witness. He said this. He says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see, see, he saw it, the Spirit descending and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He is putting every single card he has on the table. This is who I'm saying is the Son of God. I'm in. This is my doctrine. This is my doctrine. He's the Son of God. No question. No doubt. Verse 35. The next day as John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. He was so sure he, was not, he didn't have a problem with his disciples leaving. 
Don't follow him anymore. Follow that guy. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God. I need to regress. Remember he said that. He said, I need to, I need to regress. He needs to progress. He needs to be the one who's lifted up. I'm going to fall back now. He is all in. He is sure. He even says it twice. Two days in a row. No doubt. He had a spiritual encounter with God. What God had told him happened. He saw it with his own eyes. But now, in these verses in Matthew 11, go back to Matthew 11. John's confused. Um, just to ask you, Jesus, uh, by the way, are you the one we're supposed to be waiting for, or is there somebody else coming? Just want to make sure here, uh, are you the one we're supposed to be, that I was supposed to be preaching about? Because I think I saw what I saw, but I'm not so sure anymore. What happened to this guy? What happened to this man who was so sure that he just, he was all in? He just, he just preached it, he said it boldly, he didn't care who heard it. He didn't care what other people thought about what he believed. He just said it. All of a sudden, a few weeks later, now he's going, mm, well, are you sure? Well, okay, Jesus, are you the guy? What's different between that day next to the river and Matthew 11? What's the difference? He's in prison. Never been to prison. Praise God. Well, I've been in a prison. Did some ministry there. Really glad they let me out at the end of the day. <clears throat> but my guess is, if you got thrown in to prison, you have a lot of time to think about your life. You have opportunity to start reflecting and to start wondering. But most of all... <clears throat> We don't know exactly what was going through John's mind, but we hear what's coming out of his mouth. In this time, when he gets thrown into prison, all of a sudden he has opportunity to doubt. Did I live my life wrong? Did I, did I, nail the, did I, did I call out the wrong guy? I thought I was sure. I thought I had my doctrine squared away. I thought I had it all figured out. But now here's this opportunity. I just, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. Now we don't know what was going on inside John's mind. It'd be one of those interesting things to ask him when we get there, when we get to heaven. Was he thinking, well, I really thought Jesus was just going to become the king and I was going to be a part of the court and... But it didn't work the way I thought it was going to. And even worse, it isn't like he just fell off into obscurity. He got thrown in prison. And we all know what's about to happen to him. He's about to die. That's not the way he had it planned out. Pretty sure. Why? Because his faith is shaken. 
Jesus, um, just one more question. Are you the guy? Or is there somebody else? Is this the way it's supposed to play out or was, did I miss something? Verse 2 of chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ... John heard about the miracles, the signs, the wonders. He wasn't wondering if Jesus was doing signs, wonders, and miracles. He's hearing about them. He heard this is what's going on out there. And Jesus is the one who's doing it. That wasn't his question. That wasn't the problem he was having with all of this. The problem was... I'm in prison. This didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. This didn't happen the way I had planned it. I, I kind of had it figured, it, you know, especially since he was my cousin. Now I'm putting words in his mouth. I can't do that. But you know what I'm saying. You're, he's human. You're human. When you thought you had it all figured out, how many of you in your lifetime at some point in time have thought at, at, that you had it all figured out? Many times I've thought I've had it all figured out. And then go, oh, dude, that wasn't even close. Or, even worse, you thought you had it all figured out and it didn't work the way you thought and you still think you had it figured out. It doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. I don't like this. God, why is this happening to us? Those are human questions. That's humanity. We're stuck in it. We live in a world where we are not omniscient. We don't understand everything. And here's the hard part. We're not going to understand everything. We don't get to understand everything. Jesus didn't release John from prison. He died. I mean, and this is John. When you, when you hear about what Jesus said about him, I mean, he said that from the beginning of time, not a greater person on this earth has lived except John. Now, that's a pretty big compliment. That's huge. How many of you would have loved to have been the person Jesus said, until now, there has not been a greater person on this earth than you. I mean, we know he lived his life right. He did what he was supposed to do. We can see, after all these years of retrospect, he did everything right and died. That is not fair, is it? See, I know you're all thinking theologically right now, and I love that. That's what's cool about you guys. Because I just said it's not fair, and you're all going, I don't know if I should nod on that one or not. Exactly. 
Fair has nothing to do with it. This isn't about being fair. This is about God being God. God doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. And there are going to be things that happen that we don't understand. And we don't even have to like it. He didn't say bad things are going to happen to you and you just have to like it. No, he didn't say that. He just said, in this world you're going to have trouble. And what you do with it is going to be based on what you believe. What you do with what happens. What you do with the things that happen around you, both good and bad. In the last two weeks, we've lost two amazing people. Amazing people. People who have contributed so much to us here personally, but I believe then that that translates into the, the kingdom of God. Two people who have, have given of themselves. They weren't perfect. Ask their spouses. Pretty close. Amen. Amen. But they're amazing. Just like most of you are amazing. I was wondering how soon that would be. Oh, oh yeah. <clears throat> we have, a, we have a larger majority of amazing people in this church than in any other church I've ever been in. And I'm not, that's not a joke. I am so amazed every day at God, at who God has surrounded me with. Thank you. And keep it up. And so that just makes it that much harder when it's two people that when you look at why did this happen, it just, it shouldn't have happened. This is wrong. This is not the way you write the script. This isn't right. But as we know from doctrine, there are things we don't understand. We are finite. I don't understand it. I don't have the full understanding. I have bits and pieces. I have shadows. I have wonderings. I have questions. I have things that that I just go, you know. And most of the things I don't even want to say because I don't know what it means if you say them. But I keep coming back to this. This is the question I keep coming back to. What am I going to do with this? What are we going to do with this now? Because if we don't do something with this, then it's even more of a waste. And I don't know if you watch the news, but on top of all this, we also had another great loss this last week. If you saw the news, it actually made national news. Dr. Miles Monroe 
was killed, tragically, in an airplane crash. If you don't know who Dr. Miles Monroe is, he's actually my favorite preacher on the whole entire earth. So in hearing of his passing, like an extra blow. Never met the man. Only saw him preach a couple of times. But I've listened to hours and hours of his teaching on, ta- on uh, well, tapes. <laughs> yeah, that dates me. Way back when tapes were the medium. <laughs> tapes. Nope. It, well, not that kind of tapes. No. Videos. Read books. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. He preached all over the world. He was a writer. He wrote 17 books. Powerful books. If you want something to read, grab one of those. It will change you. It will mess you up. It'll make you ask questions you never knew existed. The, my favorite sermon I have ever heard in my whole entire life, I have a copy of it, I've given it to some of you, was preached by him. It's called The Kingdom of Ignorant Kings. It's powerful. It changed me. When I heard him preach that sermon, it changed who I was as a Christian forever. So when I heard on heard through someone that, that he had passed away, it was it was a blow much like the blows we experienced this week. This guy wasn't just your run-of-the-mill Christian. This guy knew stuff that I didn't even I couldn't even fathom that it could possibly exist until he said it and you just went, "Oh my goodness." Deep, deep things of God. He understood the kingdom like nobody I've ever heard since. He he understood things about God, had a relationship with God that I would just love to be anything like him. And this week, he was killed in a plane crash. Flying into the Bahamas, that's where he lived, but he was heading towards, he was heading towards a conference. He was supposed to be the main speaker at a conference. So he was doing what God told him to do, I, I assume. He's flying in with his wife, his daughter, and I think five staff members. Five key staff members from the church. They're flying in, and as they come, come into the approach, into the landing, it was bad weather. The pilot, for whatever reason, didn't see a loading crane, a, a cargo ship loading crane. Flew right into it. Exploded on impact. Killed everybody on board. And you just look at that and you go, what in the world happened? I thought the Bible said that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I thought the Bible says that though a thousand may fall on my left hand and ten thousand on my right, I will not be harmed. I thought the Bible said... And then you hear about this guy who obviously is way more spiritual than I probably will ever hope to be who died tragically in a plane crash. 
and you can start doing the post-mortem. Was he in sin? It's one of the questions. Was he, was he being disobedient to God? Did he not have enough faith Did the people around him not pray enough? Did the person who was supposed to fast and pray for him not do it that morning? Every other... You know, us human beings, we can beat ourselves up. Part of it's ourselves, part of it's Satan just going, man, I've got a field day today. I'm going to start swinging away. And you can make yourself feel guilty, you can beat yourself up, you can, you can post-mortem yourself, just screw yourself right into the ground. And at the end of the day, you know no more than you did before. It's one of the problems with doing post-mortems on why did God do this and why didn't he do that? It's dangerous stuff. Because we're not God. We don't know. We don't know. What I do know is, God is good. What I do know, because the Bible says it, that the Bible doesn't tell us why things happen. Here's John, who was the, the greatest person on the world in the world, up until that moment who did exactly what God told him to do and, and, and calling in the, the presence of Jesus, you know, making way the, the, the path for the king of kings, and then things didn't go the way he planned. That's not fair. <laughs> I don't know if it is or not. I don't know that answer. We don't know that answer. And to try to, to, to somehow force you know, you ever, oh, see, oh, here's where that making sausage thing comes back in. You ever, you ever tried to force meat into, you haven't, okay, I have, okay, so you're forcing meat into this little constraint, and you're trying to make it something it's not. Do you know that Braunschweiger does not look like a clean little tube with, you know, nicely sliced with a package? Ugh. That's not what that looks like. They're fooling you. <laughs> Same sort of thing can happen if we try to force God, force what we, our finite minds understand, try to force it into something we don't understand. Until we see it in Scripture, until it's revealed to us by the Spirit of, the, uh, Spirit of God, we don't have a foot to stand on. But there are things we do know. There are things we do know. We do know that God is good. Now you might think, you just keep coming back to that. Sometimes that's, my st that's where I've got to start every single time. I don't know about you. That's where I've got to start. Okay, God's good. Number two, he loves me. 
All of a sudden, when you hit, you know, we're all into the second layer of this. That feels pretty good. I don't care. If, you know, I mean, at, at that point, if nothing else happens, he's good and he loves me. And he sent Jesus to die for me. Woo! It's getting better already. We can keep building upon that. And that's what doctrine is. Doctrine is, is what do we know and what can we build upon it? What, what is solid? There are some things that are not solid that I don't know for sure. But there are also some things that I don't know for sure that I'm pretty sure about it. And that's where we need to keep pressing forward. So, what do we do now? If John's faith was shaken, how do we stand a chance? John was no wuss. He was, as, Ma- as Jesus said in Matthew eleven eleven, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John, John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, when I said earlier, wouldn't it be great if God said that of all the people that have ever lived on earth that you're the best? He just told us that we're better than everybody who lived before John. We have it better. Why? Why do we have it better? Salvation. We have the Spirit. We We have understanding and revelation that they didn't have back then. But even though he was the greatest, Jesus still had to encourage him. Matthew eleven four, He said, he answered them and said, he answered those guys who went and asked him that question. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he, or blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's the part we need to be careful with. Is that whatever struggle we're going through right now, is that whatever the answer is, we're not offended by it. We don't get ticked at God. God, until you answering me, I'm going to hold my breath. He's not moved by threats. He's not moved by self-pity. He's not moved by whining. He's not moved by complaining. He's He's not moved by accusations. He's not moved by anything other than faith in him. That's what that's a starting point of moving forward. Who he is, we know who he is. We've studied who he is. We understand that he, he is good. He has a plan for our life. He sent Jesus. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. He has a plan. And that plan is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he says, and those who are called by my name, those who are, who, those my, who are my disciples, shall lay hands, lay hands on the sick and they shall raise up. Wait a second. He said we're supposed to do this and yet we 
try, we did it, we thought we did it, we tried, we, and it didn't work out the way we want. I quit. I'm not doing that anymore. Skip it. Forget it. Let's put that one aside because it doesn't work. <laughs> Wrong answer. It's not the right answer. We keep moving forward. We have to keep believing. We have to keep stepping. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know why God didn't protect Miles Monroe. But it wasn't because he, by faith, continued to move forward. That wasn't it. And it's not because he doesn't protect. Because I've experienced the protection of God. I've experienced it. You've experienced the protection of God. The Bible says he protects us. So what happened in that situation where he's flying in doing God's will and it blows up? I don't know. But that's not going to stop me from believing that he's going to protect me or my kids. And you. I want to know. See, that's the driving force. I want to understand this better. And the only way to do it is to keep moving forward. It's not by shrinking back. It's not by giving up. It's not by quitting. What's the word say? You will reap a harvest if you do not quit. If you do not quit, you will reap a harvest. Okay. I don't understand it. I have prayed for people over the last 28, 29 years that I've been walking this kind of understanding of God, and I have seen people not get healed. And think, I don't get this, God. I don't understand. And then pray for the next person, and they get healed. <laughs> I don't understand. But if I had just, if I'd given up on the last one, I wouldn't have seen the next one. I don't understand. What I want to see is more results I don't know what is the exact answer we don't know looking back it's really not good to look back and go well what was their problem no no that's not love I don't know doesn't matter what I'm more concerned about is who's the next person we can pray for who's the next person that that we're going to stand in faith for most of you don't know it happened so quickly in the midst of everything else in the midst of everything else it happened and I never I just never, never even thought never even dawned in my mind to put it on the prayer chain and it's not because I don't want to put it on the prayer chain it's just I just never even dawned never even thought to do it but on Sunday night I was here doing the will of God helping with the Bible study, facilitating. Even in the midst of it, the Spirit began to move, and we saw some things happen, some really cool things. I'm like, whoa, God, you're awesome. And in the middle of it, I started getting, having some physical problems. Started getting shaky, and I started feeling cruddy, and, and I thought maybe I'd eaten too much sugar. You know, kind of the, one of those feelings. Except it kept getting worse. And by the time I got home, I was shaking uncontrollably. My whole body, every muscle in my body, I was shaking uncontrollably. And I'm thinking, what is this all about? 
It got so bad, my muscles started to cramp in my body. And then I started getting delirious. I finally laid down. I took some, I took some ibuprofen. I prayed. Oh, yeah, I prayed. Okay, I prayed. Yes, Lord, heal me quick. Uh, and then I... <laughs> I'm not all that spiritual, really. I'm sorry. I'd love to be... Wished I could just say, it flowed out of me that I just prayed upon the Lord. No, I just kind of... Yeah, I don't want to feel like this anymore. God, help me. Went to sleep, tried to go to sleep, woke up every hour. Had the worst night of my life. Delirium, more than usual. Delirium. Nightmares, tormenting nightmares. I mean, just, I'm thinking, what is this? And I started confessing the word. And it didn't seem to have, it, it didn't even take off the edge. I'm just thinking, what is going on? The next morning, it felt, De- Deb woke up and she goes, how'd you do? I said, I had the worst night of my life. Literally the worst night of my life. I said, she goes, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel like I just got hit by a truck. Somebody stood me up, hit me from a different direction, stood me back up, hit me from the other direction, hit, you know, and just kept doing it all night long. Didn't go to work that morning, called off... You know, praise God for the snow. It's the only one good reason there was any snow on Monday morning. Laid around all day, just thinking, what is this? Just just beat up. And about 1 o'clock that afternoon, all of a sudden, a pain started in my leg. And I went, dang it. I know what that is. I'd had it twice before. Cellulitis. Cellulitis. Cellulitis is a, is a skin infection that left untreated for more than a day or two will kill you. I went, <clears throat> I have a friend who died from it. Didn't know what it was. Within two days he was dead. Left untreated. So I told Deb, I said, we got to go to the doctor. I know what's going on here. By then, my leg from my ankle all the way to my knee was inflamed, all red. It's not, it's not, it's not contagious, Byron. I thought, you, I thought you were explaining pouring concrete. So I go to the doctor. I get the, get the antibiotics. We're driving back home, and all the way home, Satan says, you're going to die from this. You've had it three times. The antibiotics will not work on this one. You're going to die. And it's going to hurt, and your kids are going to watch you die, and it's going to stink. People are going to, now their faith is really going to, if you can't stand, who else can stand? You're just, talk about tormenting. And I'm riding up, riding in the car, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is, you know, this is horrible. We're pulling into the garage, and all of a sudden, we, as we're pulling into the garage, I remembered the disciples in the boat. I, I, I have to believe it was the Holy Ghost because it, you know, of what happened next. I, remember, I just thought I started thinking of the disciples in the boat. Oh, oh, well, what are we going to do, Jesus? Oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? They woke him up, and he goes, peace be still, and the wave stopped. I've heard it preached many times. They said, how could he do that? One of the ways he could do that was, he knew he wasn't going to die there. 
And that's what rose up inside of me. I can't give you a scripture verse that says that, but that's what rose up inside of me. I'm not dying from this. Just not. I got out of the car and I just said it out loud. I said, I'm not dying from this. From that, minute, from that moment forward, this is, it has gone away quicker than any of the other time, either time. I mean, it just, boom, it just, it was, the next day the red was gone, the next day it was still hurt, by the end of the day it didn't hurt anymore, now can't, I don't even notice it's there. Never happened, it always took two weeks, over two weeks for it to go away. I'm not dying from this. Now what is that? Why did that work? Why did that work and something that somebody else tried didn't work? I don't know, but I want to know. That's the thing is I want to know how that works. What's going on there? It's that desire, it's that inquisitiveness that won't let that go. It's like there's something there. The faith that God has given us through the Holy Spirit works. I don't know how yet, but I want to know how. And I don't know that I'll know 100%. I know I won't. Okay, let's just make that clear. We won't know 100%. But what if we knew 10% more by the end of our lives than we know now? That we're sure on, that we absolutely can guarantee every time, and our kids are 10% further than we were, and they take it 10% further, and in three generations, they're a third of the way there. But if we quit, if we give up, we'll never see it. And if we don't see it, they won't see it. If it, it takes someone who says, that's it, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. We're not seeing everybody getting healed every time yet. So what do we do about it? What should our takeaway be from this last two weeks that we've had to go through? I don't know about you, but for me, it has lit a fire under me. It has to light a fire in us. Because that fire is what the world needs. That fire is what will change the world. A commitment to go, I, I'm going forward. I don't, I don't understand this. I don't like it, but I'm moving forward. And as I move forward, we're moving forward. I don't know. We're going to learn from each other. We're going to hold each other up. And every day we can get one step further, one step closer, one more understanding deeper into what God wants us to have. Because I believe he wants us to know a bunch. But we don't get there if we quit. Matthew eleven twelve. this story ends with this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And violent and the violent take it by force. I re-studied that this week because I didn't want to just throw a verse out there without having re-studied it, redid a, a word search. 
When it says violent, it's not talking about beating the daylights out of somebody. Except the devil. <laughs> well, sorry. What it means is that the kingdom of God has been moving forward not by, well, whatever God's will is. Yeah. Whatever happens. No. It moves forward because people have been hearing the voice of God and saying, that's where I'm going. I'm, gonna, I'm going, that's the direction I'm headed and this is how I'm going to get. And they take it by force. They reach out and they grab it and they say, it's mine. That's what it means. Take it by force meant to say, that's mine. I'm taking this. I'm taking the kingdom. I'm, 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 I am in the kingdom. I am a part of the kingdom. I am moving forward this. I'm not sitting in my hands. I'm not going to sit in my chair until I, and, until I pass away. No, I'm going to keep moving forward. And that's what I heard from Sue. God, that blessed me. If you'll permit me to just share one story. The last time I spoke to Sue, I saw her once after that, but the, only, the last time I spoke to Sue, we were sitting in her room. She was laying in her bed. I was, we were, I was sitting next to her. And I said, Sue, is there, is there anything you want to talk about? She kind of looked at me inquisitively. I said, and she goes, what do you mean? I said, is there anything you want to talk about? Anything. As your pastor, is there anything you want to talk about? And she smiled, and also she kind of glared at me. Everybody talks about how such a sweet woman she was. <laughs> but I'm telling you, she had a look too, didn't she, Bob? Yeah. Because I think she shot me one of those, just, a, just for a brief moment, which was more than enough for me. She looked at me and she goes, it is well with my soul. That's not passive. That's not passive. Oh, it's well with my soul. Whatever may come, may come. No, 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 no. What came out of her was strength. It is well with my soul. And I just, I almost wanted to stand up and start cheering. It's powerful. We move forward on purpose. We move forward with purpose. And our purpose is to see the work of the devil destroyed in this earth. And if we try to do that passively, you will get your butts kicked. Sorry, that's not very nice, is it? That's how I feel right now. We do it with power. We do it with the authority that God has given us. And we move forward. So how do we do this? Turn one last reference. And then Jamie and the worship team, if you'll come up, please. And we'll close out with worship today. First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 6. There's a lot of places I could have gone. And there's a lot of places we will go.
But this is probably this is a very good place to start. First Peter chapter five, beginning with verse six, says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that so that at the proper time He may exalt you." Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He gets it. He gets it. He gets the pain. He gets the, the questions. He gets the, the, the issues. He gets it. He understands that you're going through it right now. And it's not, because, it's not that he doesn't care. It may seem like it because well, I want an answer. And if, he doesn't, if you don't get the answer, you might take that as he doesn't care. No, he cares more than you could imagine. Be sober, mindful, and minded, and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is why I asked the worship team to only just do two songs and we'll come back. Because there are times when you need to know why you're worshiping. Even in the midst of this. Even in the midst of all of this. He is worthy to be praised. And there are questions, yes. There are doubts, yes. There are fears, yes. Absolutely. But it's it's even in spite of those questions, fears, and doubts. When you praise him, it's powerful. Despite those things. God, I don't get it, but you are God. And you are worthy. And you are awesome. And you are good. And we lift up your holy name. We praise you, Lord God, because you are worthy. And you are worthy of all of our praise. As we do that, making that confession of faith, praising him anyway, worshiping him anyway, there is a power that is present that will change you. Please stand with me.